0: Well, it's nice to be back. <sighs> um, as as you, those of you who were here last week know, I was gone. Uh, I had a study week. At the end of my study week, I ran up to my hometown in Los Gatos and uh, went to my fortieth <laughs> um, high school reunion. <laughs> yes, I graduated when I was nine. Um, so it was a blast. We had a good, good time, and, um, uh, and I want to thank Peter, Pastor Peter. How many of you were here last week? Does he get the thumbs up? Yeah, yeah. he's good, isn't he? Uh, we're so blessed to have um, some really fine people on this staff, um, so I just to really appreciate that. I appreciate our whole staff here uh we're back i'm back and so we're back in our series the series of the transforming congregations in changing times remember um, we're talking about what it means and what it looks like to be a transforming um congregation and what that means in this particular time in this particular place so um and we're looking at the fact that it's transforming individuals lives it's transforming our life as a congregation as a community of faith and It's serving as a transforming agent in our community and how we're making a difference in our community. If we were to disappear, if we were to close the doors, would the community notice? So hopefully they would. And we're looking at the different elements within strong churches in urban settings and um, what they have. And so we talked about specific characteristics of transforming churches. Who remembers any of those? I'm going quiz you every week, so. Self-reflection, honest self-assessment, yeah. Games, being playful and having fun together, yeah. What's that? Yeah. Curiosity, being curious about what's going on in and around our uh, church here, yeah. Yeah, good. Any other remembrances? What's that? Yeah, risk-taking, entrepreneurship. Taking risks and doing things that, you know, stepping out in faith is how, how we would uh, Christianize that term, right? So, yeah, and today we're going to talk about drama and symbols and how those are important in the life of the church and have been from the very, very beginning. Um, so, uh, what symbols are important to the Christian church? The cross, darn straight. There it is. It's central in the life of our church. It's all over the church. Yes, any other? Communion table, good. Others? Palm? Palm branches, yes. Good. The windows, okay. Stained glass windows, okay. Water, good. Yeah, so the baptismal font. Most Reformed churches have a baptismal font in view. I grew up in the Baptist church, so we had a jacuzzi. Um, at least the youth group thought so. Anyway. Okay. Good. Yeah. So the cross, the communion table, baptismal font. These are symbols. Now, they're symbols, right? They're symbols. And they're meant to show, they're, they're meant to be outward symbols of an inner working. So outward signs of inner workings. And so the we don't want to um, turn the communion table into an idol, right? And start worshiping the communion table. We appreciate it, we wanna treat it with um, respect and dignity, but we don't wanna turn it into an idol. The communion table is not God, God is up there. But it's meant to represent and help us to come into the presence of God. So these symbols are meant to be good. They're meant to cement positive ideas about our faith into us, cement them in. Um, The bad is when they become idols. For the people of Israel, um, they had many symbols, many um, outward signs of their faith. And it began all the way back to Abraham, right? That began with circumcision. Um, we've replaced that with baptism. And um, many of the men in our world who come to faith are grateful for that change. Um, and then uh, when the people came out of Egypt, um, they started to build things that were meant to symbolize their faith, and those things, at first, was a tabernacle, and they built a ark, the ark of the covenant. How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? If you haven't, I'm shocked. Um, so, and that they actually did a pretty good job making that ark of the covenant look like the real deal. Um, and there are specs in the Bible of what kind of wood they were supposed to use the dimensions, the gold, the inlay. There were meant to be cherubim hanging over the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark was meant to be the throne of God, the presence of God in the midst of Israel. And so it was meant to be something that was very holy. And in fact, nobody was supposed to touch it. If they touched it, they would die. And they did in the Old Testament. They had rings on the sides of the Ark of the Covenant that they would put poles through, so they wouldn't ever touch it. If they moved it, they literally picked it up with these poles and carried it. They never touched it physically. So, um, But it was meant to be a symbol. Uh, And then they built the tabernacle, which was a tent that they would use to worship God. And they later built a temple that was meant to uh, be a place where they worship God. And inside the temple was the uh, holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where God's presence was, was meant to be. And then in the outer area was the area where the priests could go, and they had all kinds of candles and objects in there that were meant to be holy. And, they were, and the Bible is very specific of how these were to be made. And I'm sure Tom, when he saw the passage that I asked him to read, said, oh, yippee. <laughs> this is really exciting and a narrative drama, and, but the Bible is full of these specks that had to be taken care of. And even the priests wore special outfits, special clothes that were designed designed by God. And um, some of the aspects, and they were supposed to symbolize everything within it. Linen ephod was meant to symbolize humility and service and sacrifice. They had a gold plate that was placed on their head, foreheads. That was meant to be the holiness of God at the forefront of their mind. Gold being a symbol of God's purity and holiness. They had 12 stones on their chests. The 12 stones, different colored stones, represented the 12 tribes of Israel close to the heart of the priest. Um, They had a sash that uh, was wrapped around their waist and that was meant to symbolize not only service and humility but readiness. Readiness to go quickly because that was the idea of what happened when uh, they left Egypt. Um, they had a, they actually carried a, a thing with um, incense in it, and um, they would shake it as they went, and that was meant to symbolize the presence of God with them, the Spirit of God, and they had gold bells around the bottom of their robe. Aren't you glad we don't have that today? I would go crazy. You'd, so, you'd sound like a wind chime in, every time you walked by, but that was meant to let people know that you were around, and the presence of God was with you, and Um, When when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, when they stopped hearing that wind chime sound, they got a little nervous because perhaps the priest hadn't um, properly confessed his sins and uh, had gone into the Holy Presence unclean and had died in the presence of God. And so they literally tied a rope around the the priest's um, waist to pull him out in case uh, something had happened. And the priest had to be barefoot because they were considered to be walking on holy ground the whole time. Aren't you glad that we've changed a few things since those days? I am. Um, And of course other symbols such as fire and the cloud and those sorts of things. So is it any wonder when God had these specific details in mind and the symbols were meant to draw people into the presence of God and to draw the community of faith together Is it any wonder that when Jesus went to the temple and found people making money and turned God's holy temple into a marketplace that Jesus got upset? Listen to what uh, Matthew writes about that. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you not read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies You have prepared praise for yourself. And Jesus left them and went out of the city to the Bethany and spent the night out there. So Jesus went into the temple and he saw them doing all these things and he said, what are you doing? This is a house of prayer. This is meant to be a place where people commune with God. You've turned it into a marketplace. And they said, no, 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 we're having a fundraiser. We're raising funds for our pocketbooks to put our kids through college. This is my father's house. It's meant to be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a marketplace. It reminds us of what God said in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. Your sacrifices are meaningless because there's no justice in the land. Our actions, our symbols, our sacraments are meaningless. They have become empty if they don't translate into life change. If they're not transforming our lives, then they become empty rituals, right? And empty rituals mean nothing. They're just wind in the air. Now, I appreciate that you've noticed two or three, four things in our sanctuary um, that are symbols. 15 years ago, there was a woman named Harriet Arnold who was a member of this church. And she put together a list of the symbols of this sanctuary. And Bobby Rooker is the executor of her estate. And so I have invited Bobby to come and remind us of some of the great symbolism that is all around us that we take for granted every Sunday. So Bobby, share with us.
1: Well, back when the church was completed in 1938, people entered the sanctuary through the narthex. The narthex is a room of preparation where one can leave life's cares before entering God's house. The communion table. The communion table is white oak. The only items that are to be placed on the communion table is the Celtic cross and the communion elements of bread and wine in commemoration of Christ's life and death. The representing at the, of the Last Supper is depicted by the Omer, Albergauer carving in the center of the table, showing the apostles partaking of their final meal with Christ. The Celtic Cross is a dis, distinctive and basic cross. It is placed in a circular base, which is designed to represent Christ, and a circle for eternal life without beginning and end. The chancel area. The stained glass windows depict nine events. In the left panel, uh, recall the Bible stories of the sower of the seed, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan. In the center, the Last Supper, Jesus' baptism, and Jesus' birth on the far right depicts the Resurrection, the Crucifixion, and Palm Sunday. At the very top of the center panel representing uh, is a flame representing the presence of the Holy Spirit. And each side of the center panel, there are guardian angels on each side of that center panel. In the top, is a flame representing the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is God of beginning of life everlasting. There is design all the way around the balcony. And every third pew, there is a design called quatrefoil and a circle. These four pointed designs represent the four disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, surrounded again by the circle of eternal life, no beginning, no ending. On the pulpit and the lectern are hand-carved grapevine and the fruit representing the the wine of communion. The pyramids, which are hung from the pulpit and the lectern are changed to follow the liturgical calendar at the base of the lectern is the baptismal font also which also carries the symbol of the vine baptism is the only other sacrament practiced by our denomination at the base of the pulpit is a hand-carved piece that houses an ever-burning blue light. All of you are going to have to turn around and look at our beautiful rose window. Stand if you need to. What I encourage you to do is after church, come visit us up there when we do the sound. On the back of the balcony is the rose window. Around the circular window with this tracery, you will find the symbols and the names of each of the disciples with the Lamb of God in the center. So stop and look at all our uh, um, symbols within our church. They all do mean something. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? So um, yeah, I
0: I mean, uh, we, a lot of churches would just have straight panels, but we have panels that represent the four Gospels and the four Gospel writers and um, all of those things. So really, really fun stuff. And I think the idea is it's meant to draw people into the presence of God, right? So even the point in, um, upward of the ceiling reminds us that we're to be pointed upwards towards God. Everything about a church, they, they think about everything before they put it in. Nothing belongs in a church that doesn't belong there. So Everything is meant there and is put there for symbolism. Now, about the robes. I don't wear robes very often, right? Um, But why did the robe come into being? Obviously, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The priests wore special clothes to uh, represent God. I'm going to read a a little encyclopedia input here from this. The reformed Protestant reformers of Western Europe rejected the traditional dress worn by members of the Roman Catholic Church. The priests of the Roman Catholic Church had begun to dress very expensively and they would wear um, priestly gowns that were very um, ornate. Yes, thank you. And the reformers disagreed with this, drawing attention to yourself. So they... uh, they began attending church in their daily clothes which happened to be long black robes due to the fact that a majority of the Reformation leaders were of the scholarly class. So black robes were worn because that was the clothes of the day. They were just wearing what everybody else was wearing. Now we've kind of turned it into a a symbol today. Um, Something more. This eventually defined liturgical dress and traditional garment for those in leadership. So robes are really meant to minimize distraction and minimize the person who is up front and um, emphasize the office. Okay? So it's supposed to take away from distractions. That's why choirs wear robes. So people in the congregation aren't going, well why is she wearing blue and the other one's wearing pink. And um, now Paul and I um, have worked with a choir director that was intense. Women couldn't wear earrings. Um, All the men had to wear dark slacks, dark socks, dark shoes. Women had to wear dresses, no slacks. Um, dark shoes. I mean it was in, it went beyond what we do today. But the whole idea of robes is to, di- to minimize distractions. Um, so I'm gonna skip down here. So these are kind of some of the symbols that we have. This is called a stole and we change the colors with the liturgical calendar, right? So green represents what? Ordinary time. It represents growth, like green plants. So during ordinary time, it's meant to be time where we're growing in our faith. Uh, Red represents Pentecost, Spirit of God. So we don't see red very often because we don't have a lot of days set for Pentecost, although we do wear it on days when we have an ordination, because an ordination represents the Spirit of God as well. Purple represents actually penitence. So um, that's why we have it during Advent and Lent because those are times of confession and preparation. And then white represents purity, right? And so that's when on Christ the King Sunday and Easter Sunday and Christmas Sunday, those are days when you see white because it represents the purity of Christ. And we put it out for weddings, too, because, you know. Um, So lots of symbols. Lots of, uh, and the symbols, again, are meant to be outward signs of an inner working. And then there's drama. And the drama that we best know, obviously, baptism and communion, those are actually actions which are meant to be representation of inner working. Our sacraments are meant to be... um, Symbols that show what's going on in our lives. So we actually have, when we do uh, baptism, we have to have a physical element, water. We have to have a physical act, pouring or dunking or whatever we do. Um, For communion, we have physical elements, right? Bread and cup. We have physical acts, Breaking the bread, representing the breaking of Christ's body. The pouring of the cup, representing the pouring out of uh, Christ's blood. Now, I sometimes disagree with our um, denomination. And I thank God that I'm in a denomination where it's okay to have disagreements with. I tend to think that both marriage and ordination are sacraments. The denomination says... Sacraments are reserved for all the people. And so only those symbols that all the people partake in are sacraments. Not everybody gets married. Not everybody gets ordained and therefore they have said there's only two sacraments. But doggone it, when I officiate at a wedding, I feel like something holy is going on. And sacrament basically means sacred moment. And there's the giving and exchanging of rings, the giving and receiving of rings. And in the ordination, there's a laying on of hands as we pray for people. So those are sacred moments too. Those are drama. Drama actually comes from the Greek word uh, dran which means to do or to act. And so these are actions within our community of faith. So what about today? Because what we're talking about is transforming churches in changing times now. What about today? What are the symbols? What are the actions that we have in our church today? Part of the reason we're celebrating the 135th is to have a time of kind of drama, of, of action, of celebration, to remind ourselves of the great history of this church and the, all that's been going on in the past and allow that to press us into the future and into the present. So, and it was funny. You, I don't know if you remember our logo. I should have had it on our, the front of our bulletin, but our logo is the steeple here um, outside. And it has the cross at the very top and things like that. The cool thing about our cross is that um, it's not just two side, but they go out in four different directions. That represents the idea that the cross is meant for all corners of the earth, not just two directions. Um, But when I started working with the guy that was going to do our logo, our logo probably we did it 15 years ago or so. Uh, and he had actually studied logo creation. And so we talked about what does it mean, why are you here, what, is, what are you trying to get this logo to represent? And it was interesting when we were talking, because we're gonna get some mugs. If you haven't noticed, we're buying 135th anniversary mugs, limited edition, um, if you get them, you're in good shape. If you, if you miss out, you're gonna be left without a mug. Um, yes, you'll be mugless. You'll be muggles, no, um, So and, and we want to get them on blue mugs and, and uh, when Christina brought in the um, initial, um, was it, sample of it, the guy had said, oh okay it's blue and your logo is kind of um, white and so what we'll do is we'll flip everything and what happened was that the steeple became dark blue surrounded by white. And I said that's very interesting because when we were discussing the logo, we wanted it to represent the fact that we were a tall steeple church in downtown. Not many of us around anymore, most of them left. And so we are a tall steeple church in downtown and we want to symbolize the light of Jesus Christ here in the center of Santa Ana. So we don't want that steeple to be dark blue surrounded by white, because then it's a darkness in the presence of white. So we flipped it back around, and now there is a dark circle with the steeple in white to represent First Presbyterian Church is a light to the heart of Santa Ana. Cool, right? Logos, they, those are symbols, and we want those symbols to mean something. Um, If you get a chance, go online and look at the PCUSA website symbol, logo. The the guy that worked on our logo here for First Presbyterian actually said, we had to study the PCUSA logo because it is full of symbolism. So go and look at it and see how many symbols you you can identify. It's like one of those games that kids have. How many objects can you find in this picture? It's just like that. You'll, I think there's 12 different symbols in one logo. It's really good. So we're coming up with our 135th anniversary and I'm going to ask you, I want you to be thinking about what are some symbols, what are some drama actions that we can be doing to really characterize our ministry here at First Presbyterian Church. I know we put up flags for Uh, world communion and for Pentecost. That represents our intercultural nature um, and reminds us that we are people from all over the world, are all part of the family of God. We're talking about putting a timeline out in the gallery just to represent our history here and to show that we've been present here in Santa Ana for a long, long time. But even as we were talking about that, we were saying we want to leave a panel at the end that maybe has a question mark to represent What's going to happen next? You know, we're not done here. (laughs) We want to keep going. We want to keep ministering to the heart of Santa Ana. So be thinking about ways that we can bring drama and symbols into this present situation um, so that brings more life into our church and into the community here. Amen? All right, so we are going to now sing a hymn. And I don't have my hymnal with me, but I'll grab this one here. 461. And the reason I picked this hymn is because this probably is the best hymn I've ever heard in my whole life that talks about symbols. Um, God is here uh, as we, your people, meet to offer and praise, uh, praise and prayer. And then it talks about Here are table, font, and pulpit. Here the cross has central place. Here in honesty of preaching. So there's all this conversation in this hymn about the symbolism here in the sanctuary. So really think about it as you're singing this and remind yourself that these symbols are here not just to be pretty, but to actually signify something, to mean something. Um, And so let's sing this together. I invite you to stand if you're able to as we sing hymn number 461.